Welcome to the third season of PEBC's Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. My name is Michelle Morris-Jones, and in this season, I'll be sharing conversations with educators and leaders who are making schools and classrooms more phenomenal than ever before by implementing community, planning, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment practices that promote agency, equity, and understanding for each and every learner. I am honored to share these conversations of innovation and passion with all of you. Thank you so much for listening in. As we think about student engagement, stamina, and healing from trauma, many educators are planning differently and are focusing on relevancy, inquiry, and joy for both students and teachers. The PEBC teaching framework highlights the importance of creating life-worthy experiences that help students engage with content that has meaning beyond the classroom and utilizing resources that provide an abundance of varied texts, imagery, media, realia, and manipulatives to support thinking and understanding. Today, Ellen Spangler is joining the Phenomenal Teaching Podcast to help us think about how we might use some of our community resources to help up the ante on lifeworthiness and to access rich resources to, to support student agency, equity, and understanding. Ellen is a seasoned educator and has designed and delivered programs, trained staff and volunteers, and conducted program evaluations for art and children's museums across the years. Ellen, welcome to the Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I am thrilled to have you. You know, you have been working in museums and nonprofit for a number of years, and now you are supporting organizations with your very own business called Three Notch Nonprofit Solutions. So I'd love to hear a little bit about you and your work in the past, the work that you're currently doing. And then also thinking about the past 18 months. Um, you know, it's so clear that the entire education community, including nonprofits and museums and art organizations and performance organizations and classrooms, have had to reimagine their work and pivot very quickly to serve their constituents and their students. So can we hear a little bit about you and kind of what you've seen that has emerged from this entrepreneurial era of COVID? Sure. Thanks. Um, well, you know, I have worked for um, over 20 years in nonprofits of various kinds, um, mostly museums. I think my first love will always be museums. I've worked in art and children's museums, um, putting on programs, training staff and leading those programs, um, quite a bit of teacher professional development. Um, and then I've also worked in membership organizations that serve kind of the education community as well as other parts of the community. Um, and now, like you uh, mentioned, I went into consulting, which is exciting. And I did that because I found that um, I um, value the breadth of experience that I have and the lots of different types of things that I've done. And consulting gives me the opportunity to um, have a greater impact across organizations. So I'm, I'm excited to do that. Um, so now I think that's, you know, what's going to make our conversation so interesting today is that you do have a wide breadth of experience and you're working with lots and lots of nonprofits and museums right now. And so, you know, like I mentioned, there's been this entrepreneurial spirit during COVID and a lot of us were forced to change. We had to force the way we did business. And so from your vantage point, what has emerged? Yeah, you know, I've been taking a lot of time lately and looking back on this 
unbelievably crazy time. Um, hopefully, you know, while the pandemic is far from over, I, I hope that we're starting to round the corner. And I've been wondering um, what will really remain of this just endless period of triage. That's really what it's felt like for me. And I think it's felt like for most people, because everyone, um, every single person has seen their work environments, their personal lives, um, all of it just upended and turned upside down. Um, and because of that, we've had to uh, problem solve in ways that we've never had to do before. Um, you know, teachers, administrators, the school community, they've obviously had to add uh, more responsibilities to their already super full plates, uh, but nonprofits have had their fair share of challenges too. Um, many institutions, uh, museums, concert halls, musical groups had to close their doors virtually overnight um, and eliminate a steady source of earned revenue that they um, always had depended on. Um, also, uh, museums exist to preserve uh, a collection for the public to see and experience. And so they had to, again, overnight, basically, um, figure out how to stay relevant when their doors are closed. And then layering on top of that, too, kind of happening at the same time, has been this period of kind of racial reckoning and the importance of DEI initiatives um, that's really forced a lot of nonprofits to re-examine their impact um, and kind of need to find innovative solutions for engaging with the community like they've never done before. So I think that as we emerge from this time, there are real opportunities for nonprofits in the school community to really come together and help um, each other identify new partnerships and just new ways of doing things that they've never done before. So I think that's what's so interesting. You know, listening to you, I'm thinking about, wow, these entities have a lot in common. Right. We, we, we really are trying to impact student or public understanding, provide opportunities to explore and unpack and examine either the arts or historical realia or scientific phenomena. And that's what schools are all about. And in some ways, that might be what museums are all about. And so I'm just curious, you know, from your perspective, because you've worked so closely with so many different entities and the education community, how can the education community and the nonprofit community join together to support one another? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I think um, really looking at, I'm glad that you pointed out a lot of the similarities because I think that we all um, have our own challenges and we're, we're distinct. We approach education differently, of course, but we, we share challenges and we can really help work through them together. I think that it's important to be honest and vulnerable when talking about those challenges um, and, you know, open to new solutions. I think that that as a teacher, that could be a matter of being honest with the museum staff if you're looking forward to a program, <clears throat> excuse me, to talk about um, what hasn't worked well in the past, maybe. Just be honest um, and also discuss what challenges you're facing during the pandemic. If you're wanting to take your students on a field trip, for example, what do you need to be aware of with masking and social distancing and grouping and that kind of thing? Um, really kind of look to those staff people as thought partners in planning a successful experience. Mm -hmm. Well, so let's just dive into this idea around planning because, you know, the PEBC teaching framework, one of our major strands is planning and we plan for purpose, people and process. And so two components of that are this concept of life worthiness and resources. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about the convergence of those two. And we can really ignite our planning with engagement, inquiry and joy. And I think part of that has to do with accessing and implementing and utilizing resources 
or community members that we might not know about. So from your perspective, if I'm a teacher who's thinking, oh, I kind of want to shake things up a little bit, what are some resources out there that the school community might not know about or that teachers maybe have forgotten in these last couple of years? Sure. Yeah, there are so many nonprofits out there who are looking to get their resources into schools. And whether it's a museum in their collections, might be organizations who have a roster of visual and performing artists that want to go into classrooms, or just other nonprofits that aren't arts related who want to have an impact in their service area, like financial literacy, or maybe environmental stewardship, those kinds of things. Um, Just some examples of some organizations. One organization that's a newer organization based out of Boulder is called Streetwise Arts. um, And they use art as a platform to inspire and foster the next generation of artists. Um, They're responsible for inspiring a lot of really amazing uh, murals in Boulder and the surrounding area. But they also bring street artists to the classroom to plan and execute some really amazing art projects in the Denver area. So that's they're definitely worth checking out. Okay, so Ellen, Streetwise sounds fascinating because there's this opportunity for in-person learning, but then it also sounds like there's some online resources. So help us think about what kind of online resources exist. Um, There there are so many online resources out there. And I think that during this time, museums and nonprofits have really had to harness in a lot of ways what they've already had, but just hadn't really gotten out into the community yet. Um, I'd say... You know, it's great to look for, keep your eye out for videos that they've captured from past events. Um, Most nonprofits have videos of perhaps artists um, working on an installation, really amazing process videos and interviews that really led up to that. Um, They might have interviews with uh, community figures, important folks in the community uh, as part of an oral history project or even scholars who are really um, at the top of their game experts in their field. So when you're talking about sort of providing those authentic experiences for students. Um, These are the kinds of things that can really just be very impactful. Beyond (laughs) online, what else? Some museums are even experimenting with loaning out some of their collections to display at schools and libraries um, with careful guidelines and limitations, of course. Um, And a lot of museums also have objects that are only used for educational purposes. Um, that can be checked out by teachers. I know History Colorado is one example. They have their wonderful um, trunks with different artifacts that um, center a theme um, in Colorado history. So those are fun to check out. Um, All right. So Ellen, you have, you know, your thumb on the pulse of so many different organizations and what they might offer for teachers. Can you point to a few specific resources that might be of interest? Absolutely. Um, You know, the Denver Art Museum uh, locally is fantastic. Um, Look for Creativity Resource. Um, Creativity Resource began as a resource for teachers specifically, but has expanded beyond that to offer some great resources for families. Um, So it can be a a wonderful source for you to engage with your students' families in learning, which is a really important piece to drive things home. Um, They have hundreds of high-quality images online, lesson plans, book suggestions, and other activities. Um, And they also have some really more recent fabulous web quests that explore um, interesting themes like design thinking and how artists solve problems and um, even art and social consciousness. So that one's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, I also, as a a designer, I'm thinking, okay, how cool could I bring 
some of the art into my science unit or into my social studies unit. Absolutely. So, yeah. So well, somewhere like like this Denver Art Museum site could give me a lot of ideas. Sure. It, it's they've done just a fabulous job in um, realizing that as a access point for artists, you know, if you think about artists have to solve problems in so many different ways. And it's really an opportunity for um, us to learn from artists um, to think about what, you know, topics like what do they do when they get stuck? Um, how do they move past that? Um, how do they have to collaborate with other artists if they're working as a team to put on a really large scale work of art, for example? Um, so there are a lot of really interesting problem solving lessons that can come from that. Oh, wow. So is there another resource you'd want to highlight for us? Sure. Um, well, the Kennedy Center is another great one. That's, of course, on the national scale. Um, they were to thank um, for being able to draw alongside Mo Willems. I don't know if you're a fan of his, but I that was if you're talking about moments of joy, that was a big joy for me during the pandemic when my kids were home and um, we would draw along with him during our lunch hour, which was really fun. Um, but in addition to that, they also have lesson plans, um, articles, videos of teaching artists, and some great uh, professional development courses that are pretty affordable as well. Wow. So I would love to kind of dive a little deeper into this idea of the power of art. And really from your perspective, as someone who's provided a lot of professional development for teachers and have worked in some really interesting museums, how might we, teachers, integrate these materials into our classroom instruction and units? And specifically, how can these resources be used in really authentic ways and not just as a tip or a trick or a fun activity? What are your recommendations? Well, you know, I'm really passionate about um, considering art as a primary source. Um, mm. Primary sources are, of course, um, considered firsthand accounts that give evidence of a time period or perhaps events in history. And usually people think of letters, journal entries, um, other documents like that, but works of art are primary sources too, right? Um, so when you're exploring a historical journal entry from a time period, you spend time um, teaching your students about inquiry and you provide them with tools to look closely at a passage um, and work on refining their reading comprehension skills. You can do the same thing with art. Wow. Tell us more. Sure. Um, really, you know, all it takes is just finding some solid looking strategies, um, guiding your students through looking closely at an art object, whether it's um, exploring how something was made, uh, by whom, and really looking for those clues about the person or culture it represents. Um, so really the tool there, the, the tool that you need as a teacher is really finding um finding good um, activities to do that. So it's really interesting, like that idea of having some good looking strategies, because you're right, like when we're looking at a primary source document, like a letter or a map or, you know, some something that's kind of more in that written format, we do give kids tools to read more closely and to comprehend. And we support them with asking questions and things like determining importance. So you're encouraging us to think about some of those same strategies while we're examining a piece of art. Yes, absolutely. So if I'm thinking of a piece, um, a piece that I've used many times in social studies classes is, is American Progress. 
Mm. right? The painting. Mm -hmm. Of course. And so that idea of using something like a thinking routine, like see, think, wonder, where what are the details? What do you see? What do you think? What are you inferring? And then what does that make you wonder? Would that be an example of a looking strategy? Definitely. I think, you know, it's always important when you're approaching a work of art just to begin with, what do you see? And have students um, share things that they're noticing about the work of art. Of course, it's the same way that you would approach a reading passage as well. Um, Encouraging them to back up what they're saying. Um, So what do you see? And then um, what do you see that makes you say that? Um, To really back up with clues that they're um, finding in the work of art. Wow. So if I am really excited about this idea, you just shared a really lovely two questions that could take kids really deep into art. I shared the thinking routine of see, think, wonder. Are there any other places where teachers might go to find some of these thinking routines or just frames if they're not really comfortable with this kind of almost like analysis or exploration? Are there resources for teachers who want to incorporate the study of art into some of their classes? Yes, there's tons of resources. So you're not alone, teachers. Um, <laughs> Project Zero out of Harvard has some great resources on the strategies and their thinking strategies, just like you mentioned. Um, so if you Google um, artful thinking routines, they should pop up. Um, they have a thing on their website called the Thinking Palette, which is you know an artist palette with these different zones of inquiry, I think is how they, I can't remember if that's exactly right. But they have some great routines, which are, you know, Routines, simple activities, um, see, think, wonder is one of them. They're very simple, but they're also very, uh, they, they provide just um, fantastic opportunities to go um, deeper with students, um, really as deep as you want to go. Maybe you just have a couple minutes. There's some great strategies for you. Um, there's also um, wonderful activities for taking more time and spending more time with a work of art to get to that level of understanding. Wow. And so I'm assuming that these thinking routines and these ways of, like you said, the looking strategies, they can be used in our classrooms. They can be used in virtual or synchronous or asynchronous instruction. They can be used during a visit to a museum, perhaps. But when I think about beyond resources, if I'm really excited from this conversation, what other opportunities might exist for me to work with some of the organizations in my community? What might you encourage some of those teachers to check out? Yes, I think that, um, like I've said, there's um, just some real opportunities to form kind of deeper partnerships as we kind of all grapple with um, this time and a lot of the things that we've learned about um, the ways that we've thought more creatively about our work. Um, so if if you're a teacher and you have the brain space to spend on it, and if you have some time to build a, a stronger partnership with a museum or a nonprofit, um, I encourage you to um, reach out, make contact with a staff person and start really having those discussions about how you can go deeper together. Um, A lot of museums um, are really rethinking how they do their programs. Um, Some museums are completely doing away with their docent programs. Um, Stereotypically or historically, um, a lot of museums' programs are run by docents who are uh, retired um, volunteers. Um, And, you know, in the interest of being more inclusive of the community and of the students that come through their doors, a lot of museums are rethinking that. 
Um, so that said, um, that maybe provides a great opportunity to help them shape their programs. Um, of course, the flip side is that this is also a very stressful time for a lot of museums. So just be aware and cognizant and empathetic um, of that fact. I love that. So yeah, I do think that's so interesting, though. Um, when I was a baby teacher, brand <laughs> new, I taught in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And one of the most impactful professional experiences I ever had was partnering with the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum. I love that. And museum. I know it, it's gorgeous. And, you know, when I was teaching fourth grade, the museum didn't exist. That was actually a vacant lot right in downtown Santa Fe, right near the plaza. And the some of the folks from the museum reached out to our school and just wanted to know, is there anyone who's interested in a partnership? We really want to think about museum architecture and design. And what are those elements as we're creating this museum in the community, you know, in to really honor the work of a person who was very influential in the Santa Fe community, at least in the art community. Um, and it was really amazing. And I, I just found that the energy that it provided for me and my students was really, really exciting. And it was also one of those authentic, life-worthy experiences. We got to, you know, go down and see the actual site and wear hard hats and kind of talk about the elements of design that we thought might be important. Now, I know that's at the very, very high end of collaboration and involvement, but what it's making me think about and listening to kind of the ideas that you've shared today mm -hmm is that sometimes a phone call or an email could lead to a new experience or a wealth of resources that we didn't know existed. Absolutely. And what a wonderful opportunity for you to model for your students to that collaboration. I think um, the, the wonderful thing about partnerships between schools and, and museums is that um, it's important for kids to see that um, in their professional lives, they'll, they'll work across um, companies or organizations and um, to have them be a part of that experience is, I'm sure, was a very memorable for your students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would hope so. It would be interesting to reach out and see you know, what, what they remember from fourth grade that year. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty memorable experience in terms of some of the opportunities and some of the, the things that we did that were different and unique. And, and then our application, of course, back in our classroom, we related it right to math and geometry. And we created our own designs for a museum and we designed a museum and then we created a 3D model and we shared that with the museum wow. folks, of course. Yeah. Ours was very fourth grade. And so it was a museum and ode to cats because it was just <laughs> of one course. of those years that everyone was into cats. But I yeah. love it. But I'm sure that that was, you know, such a bright spot. Just know that that was, I'm sure, a bright spot in these museum staff people's days too, to, to take a tour of your museum of cats. <laughs> it's important yeah. to, to and, and I think also in terms of kind of um, museums being more inclusive, what better way than to understand what fourth graders would like to see um, from this museum? Um, it's really, it's, it's an important piece of, of inclusion is to hear from the community. Um, and, I, and I, you know, it's interesting, you said that that was obviously a kind of high level partnership, complicated, not everybody's going to be able to do that. It does all start with a phone call. And you never know, um, how things are going to morph and um, evolve and, and become. So I think um, it's worth picking up the phone and talking to a staff person and just sort of gauging um, what opportunities there might be. Maybe it would still be kind of more of a lower level um, involvement, or it could turn into something much bigger and much more impactful. So 
Um, kudos to you for doing that when you were a baby teacher. Here <laughs> we are talking now. <laughs> Here we are, all these years later, and I am, yes, much, much, much not a baby teacher. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Ellen, as we wrap up today, I, you know, this has been a really, really intriguing conversation. So many opportunities and just kind of illuminating again those resources that might be in our community or that might even be national resources that we can now access just because we can access things in so many different ways post-COVID or as we wrap up COVID. But I'm curious for you, what's your call to action? As we think about this community of teachers as really wanting to be able to plan life-worthy experiences for students with really rich, engaging resources What's your call to action for us? Well, gosh, I would say if, if teachers can do one thing, I would say go to museums, <laughs> go to that concert. Um, remember, just on a, on, a, on a certain level, museums and other nonprofits are still rebounding from a pretty tough year, plus a decrease in revenue. So they could, um, I'm sure they would appreciate the support. But also go to museums, not just to support them, but go to the go to museums because they're great places to turn when you're feeling burned out, as we all are. Um, if you're in need of recharging, um, go to museums to unwind, take a breather, uh, get your creative juices flowing, um, kind of help help yourself uh, view your teaching in a different light, just being in a different creative space. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? I would say also, if you do take your students on a field trip, or maybe you use some of those online lesson plans that we were talking about or other resources, uh, take a minute or two to contact the education department at the museum to let them know. Um, Speaking as a former museum educator, especially one that worked on a lot of online resources, it would often feel like I was just sort of shooting things out there into the universe. And um, sometimes I wouldn't really hear very much, so you don't really know how they're being used. And it's just so rewarding as a museum staff member to hear how something's being used. Um, It can also be really helpful to have anecdotes to share and grant proposals. I now in my consulting role write a lot of grant proposals and um, those anecdotes are just really powerful in terms of crafting that narrative to build support. Um, And then of course, if you want extra credit, it's also helpful if you have photos in action of your students, if they are Um, if you have the parental permissions to use those photos. So that's extra, extra, extra credit (laughs) if you can provide photos as well. (laughs) Um, Finally, I'd say for the benefit of your planning, if as you find yourself um, working on a unit or skill that you've just been needing fresh ideas for, try to, you know, if you're Googling um, ideas, try to add the word museum to your search. Um, You never know what resource you might find. You might find some obscure lesson plan um, in a content area that you had no idea museums might have something about. Um, So just, you know, consider museums among your um, toolbox of uh, new ideas for planning. Ellen, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your experiences and your ideas with us today. You're welcome. It's been just a pleasure to talk about this stuff. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome.
Thank you so much for listening in. The Phenomenal Teaching Podcast is brought to you by PEBC, Public Education and Business Coalition, and is intended to elevate the strands of the PEBC teaching framework, which is illustrated in Wendy Wardhofer's book, Phenomenal Teaching. PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, but works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding for each and every learner. PEBC provides customized on-site professional development and coaching for schools and districts, facilitates a variety of institutes and seminars, and offers an array of online learning experiences for all educators. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. Thank you.